0: The times that we are living in are disconcerting for many people. But for the church, we have an assurance that the Lord is in control of all the times and the seasons. His will is being accomplished even at this moment, whether we see it or not. The next few lessons, I'd like for you to grab your Bibles and a pen and paper, uh, pencil and paper, and take notes And let's investigate and study. I'm going to be teaching from the Bible about our position and how to make our calling and election sure. There may be some changes that we need to make in our homes and in our daily living. And we want to make those changes. We don't want to waste these days. We want to make sure that we're living for the Lord with all of our heart. and We want to have the right spirit and attitude as we journey through this time. So join me in the next few Wednesdays for these lessons. This is important time. This is the time of our lives. The first Bible study that I'm teaching is relevant to our times. We'll call it positioning. And we want to make sure that we are in the right position. I've often said that success uh, always occurs at the intersection of opportunity and preparation. And when you are prepared, um, and continually prepared, an opportunity will come along. Of course, Jesus made mention of this first when he talked about the parable of ten virgins, five wise and five foolish. The difference between the wise and the foolish was preparation. And that was the only difference. In fact, It would, it would stand to reason that within the parable, all 10 of them had lived their lives in a very unique way, but, um, but very specific way. All of them are qualified, but five were deemed foolish because they were not prepared. So preparation is very critical and we have to position ourselves. Um, For the days that we're living in and the days to come so because of that and because of the time that we're living in this Bible study takes on a whole new um, uh, aspect a a weight uh, I suppose Uh, a soberness that probably we uh, we must not maybe I should say it this way we must not ignore. I'd like to start by reading a scripture and I'll read most of my scriptures in the King James version. But this particular one I'd like to read from the NIV comes from the book of Luke, chapter 17. And uh, once again, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's talking to to other people around him. These words, they reach very, very far. So verse seven, Luke 17 and verse seven. Jesus said, suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. This is a common analogy. Everyone knows that. Would he say to the servant? Now, he's talking about the owner. Would you say to the servant when he comes to in from the field, come along now, sit down and eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper? Get ready yourself. Wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was supposed to do or was told to do? So you also, verse 10, Jesus said, where well, you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. This is a, a big deviation from the American mind. Positioning is, uh it, it, it's a, it's an arduous task because especially for us, because we're, we deal with this thing called Americanism and I'm not going to um, tackle all uh, falsehoods or, or um, assumptions, but I'll have to dismantle a few here tonight. One of the problems that Jesus was addressing was the attitude and disposition of the servant. There was a problem, in that particular instant with the servant. And as the Lord was speaking, it was obvious that the answers to his questions there, no, when a servant gets done working, he still works. He, is, he does not um, relinquish his servanthood or his servant position. He's always a servant, whether he's in the field or whether the work in the field is done and, and so the correct response, Jesus said, of the servant is to say, I'm an unworthy servant. I'm just doing my duty. But that does not always, um, uh, mesh with the American mind. So consider this. The arrogance of the servant stems from several key points. I'll read a little bit what I typed. He's not thankful. He believes he deserves what he receives because he's due something. This is a natural occurrence because when someone has been given so much over and over and over again, he believes that he or she thinks this is due to them. In fact, the more the servant or the person receives, the more he thinks that such things are owed. So the blessing becomes assumed. Now there's another response in relation to the blessing. When the blessing does not come, he believes something's wrong with him or with the giver. So he becomes distraught. He feels rejected. He believes this has, uh, the, the trappings of tribulation or maybe it's the trial of his faith. See, he's grown so accustomed to the gifts that he deems this his right and his thought has Uh, conflated his standing which is no less a false view of himself he deems himself worthy and now the trouble begins it only looked like trouble until he defined himself as being worthy this human goodness is presented as spiritual it is the philosophy that faithfulness equals wealth or material assets or physical gain and we can attribute that to americanism Um, It's easy because this is our culture. It's American know-how, the American grit. It's freedom. It's the ability to rise above uh, the norms. It's um, personal liberties. Uh, All of it is good, as long as it's kept within the boundaries of Christian servanthood. But that line is often blurred, and for some, it's long since uh, disappeared. The servant... That Jesus was speaking of, when he's done with his duty, he's still on the job. He never clocks out. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, I paid my dues. I, I, I have sad news for a few people out there. You never pay your dues living for the Lord. You never stop being a disciple and you never rise above servanthood. The fact of the matter is, there's there's nothing greater than serv- servanthood. If Jesus became a servant, then it is a high honor to serve. But once again, we say these words, but they they never really land where we live because we really don't like the servant mentality. We're Americans. We we conquer, um, and we have this innate disposition of. Of um, of being blessed, and we're blessed. There's a couple of reasons why, and I'm going to get to some prophetic terms here in a moment. Uh, some conversation, but I have to dismantle a little bit here because because we're seeing something unfold before our eyes, um, and it has to do with our American standing. There's a, a few reasons why why the American church. and and specifically the Christian apostolic churches uh, struggle. Part of it is self-reliance. We've gone a long time without really having great suffering. Another uh, issue that we have is wealth. America itself is a very wealthy nation. We're not a poverty-stricken nation. Even the people that... Uh, that struggle with money or food—they are being helped. In fact, in almost every community, people have cell phones, they have they have three G and four G networks. Um, there's computers and televisions, and there's all kinds of access to the internet. There's clothing. There's a lot of help. In fact, um, the wealth of the of American of of America is is astronomical comparative to the other nations of the world. And the third reason why we struggle is options. Um, in a, in a very theological term, we could call it pluralism, where, where there's multiple gods or multiple ways to be saved. But, um, but if I, but if I mix those two options and pluralism, it's that we have a lot of different ways we think that we are sufficient in ourselves. And so, um, we're not always adherent. Now, this might, Start start off sounding a little like a downer, but but I want us to realize where we are as Americans and where we need to be. Where does America fit? And in the end time, and especially in time prophecy, there's a lot of visions and prophetic words about America and about these United States. Um, in fact, the more I read through the years, in fact, they they've they've exploded in the last. Uh, five weeks, all the prophetic words about America, but I want you to know that America, though it is the greatest country in the world, and i 'm very patriotic i 'm extremely patriotic. America was never the pivot of the world. The United States is not um, the pivot point of in of the end time. And while we're blessed and we're and, and and we're we have all of these wonderful assets and, and liberties, uh America is not the pivot point of the world. We're about 244 years old, um, and we we have a tough time relating to many other nations. We've never been invaded. Pearl Harbor was uh was one of our greatest tragedies, and then 9-11 but we've never been invaded. There's never been soldiers on our homeland from other nations. We've never been overthrown. And in fact, only being 244 years old, we're really a baby nation. Uh, Europe has been overrun multiple times. There are bol- uh, bodies and skeletons of thousands and thousands deep in the earth, in Europe and in other places in the world and in Africa. Uh, untold millions have died in all kinds of wars and skirmishes throughout history. So what is the center of the world and where do we look for in time revelation and prophecy? Well, we, we have to look at Israel and specific Jerusalem, specifically Jerusalem. And why Jerusalem? Why is that the place where we look? It comes from Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 6. But I have chosen Jerusalem That my name might be there God said his name would be in Jerusalem even from topography if you look down upon Jerusalem you could see the letter which represents the name of God in the mountain and valleys there so it's a very important city I love America but Jerusalem is the center of the world and Jerusalem has the eyes and the attention and the attention of all the world. So before we become too arrogant to think that it all begins and ends in America, just so we can set the record straight, we want to position ourselves. We're thankful for the country that we have, but we're not promised to be blessed all the time. We're not promised to have wealth all the time. And we're not the pivot of the world. I do believe that we're included in prophecy and we're going to talk about that moment. But um, but let's talk about some of the forecasting that, of course, did not come about. And, and words or, or thoughts that were deemed prophecy um, were not prophecy at all. So we want to be very careful how we measure time. Israel became a nation May 14th, 1948. Um, David Ben-Guron declared it so. And at that time, I think there was about 600, 800,000 Jews there. Um, Since that time, 1948, there's over 6 million Jews. Uh, Some might even say around 7 million Jews. So a few years ago, the, the total... Uh, Jewish population in the world was around 15 million. And today that number is up somewhat about uh, not quite half of the Jewish population lives in Israel. Israel has come back very, very strong. um, And from 1948, everyone started to mark down the days of prophecy when the Lord was going to come back. Now for many years, um, scholars thought that a generation was 40 years long. They took that from David's tenure as a king for 40 years and from the wandering of the wilderness 40 years. But they were wrong. A generation is not 40 years long. It's not four decades long. And we can tell that now from the scripture itself. It comes from Psalm chapter 90 verse 10. And the Bible says, the days of our years are three score years and 10, that's 70. And if by reason of strength, if you're strong enough, they're 80 years, four score. Yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So that means that the generation should be marked from between 70 and 80 years. Now, when Israel became a nation, all Christian scholars and prophetic people and prophecy teachers started to mark down um, the end of time from the beginning of Jerusalem becoming uh, a nation again. So that's why we, uh, we were, of course, I was not, but many people were entranced with the book, 88 Reasons Why the Lord is Coming Back in 1988. So 40 plus 1948 was 1988. And uh, there was a massive influx into churches and people were coming to God because they were very afraid that the Lord was going to come back in 1988. Of course, the author of the book, um, he had to revise his, his prophecy a couple of times and, and then he kind of faded out. And then came Y2K. It was 1999 and all the computers were supposed to malfunction and the digits and the bits of information was not going to carry. In fact, people were very concerned that there would be an economic collapse because the computers are not configured for, um, the turn of a brand new century. But in fact, um, the Lord did not come back in the year 2000. January 1st, 2000, the banks did not collapse and the market stayed pretty true. Uh, but once again, people were frantic and they, uh, there was a small influx of people coming to churches and, and getting ready for the rapture, the catching away of the bride, but that did not happen and then we started to cruise along. There was a couple hiccups here and there until until nine eleven and then when nine eleven occurred, uh people were very, very frantic and nine eleven uh, had great significance when when the planes hit our towers and a pentagon and and a uh, 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 one plane was taken down in pennsylvania in a field um thanks to some heroes on that plane uh it shook the world and it changed our world in fact it changed the way the americans lived we lived a little freer before 911 all the airports changed we created a new agency called homeland security before that we just had the fbi and and so uh there was a lot more money spent on um on protecting the homeland. What's happening today is also going to change the country and the world. In fact, we've never seen anything like this. If you combine all the world wars and multiple plagues, we've never seen the whole world purposely shut down like it has been now. So certainly, something is here and we need to understand what it is. But there is a pivot that we can look to, and that was 1948. It was Israel becoming a nation, and when Israel became a nation, um, there was a, a dramatic change in the world because now prophecy could start to unfold. 6,000 years of human history, and we could not even begin to understand Daniel's revelation or John the revelator in the book of Revelation. We could not even start to put them into play until Israel became a nation. And in 1948, uh, Israel rose up and became this great nation. Incidentally, right about the same time, um, some young shepherds threw a rock in a cavern and found what we know as the Dead Sea Scrolls. It was just simply confirmation that what King James ordered to be translated into English in 1611 was true, that the book of Isaiah, that the the prophets, Psalms, all kinds of scriptures were verified as being real and true. God had preserved the scripture. And so, those two combinations of of the Dead Sea Scrolls being found and Israel becoming a nation launched um, a new wave and anticipation of Christianity. But it was not 40 years. If we wanted to look at this generation not passing, um, then we have to look at what a generation would be according to the Bible, according to Psalm 90, verse 10, 70 or 80 years. Which means if you want to go down that road, then you add 1948 plus 70 or 80 and you get 2018 or 2028. We're right in the middle of that. So, I want to be very careful before I tell you that the Lord is coming back between now and 2028. I don't think that we understand um, all of the signs that we're seeing, but we are definitely seeing some signs. I do want to tell you that no one knows the day or the hour, but we can know the season. So we need to position ourselves for the season. So, where is America? Where where are we? Um, we're going to talk about that in the next segment. But first, I just want us to realize that we are privileged, we are blessed, and we must be thankful. But, and I know this is really disconcerting for many people, because we've been taught that all revivals are going to come to America, that America's going to have this, um, we're going to launch a worldwide revivals, or we're going to be the reason for worldwide revivals. I don't know if you know this, but a couple of decades ago, for the first time in American history, other countries were sending missionaries to American soil to evangelize the indigenous people of America. And so that, is troubling to us because we always thought it was the other way around. Now, yes, we have blessed the work of God around the world with our money and our finances and, and, and resources and so many ministers and men and women evangelizing and missionaries. It's been incredible. But, but if you look at the worldwide revivals, it was in the 1990s that, um, our leaders in the apostolic movement, went to Ethiopia and saw possibly 500,000 to a million people baptized in the gift of the Holy Ghost. They spoke in tongues. 60, 70, 80,000 people conservatively receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost for the first time. There are reports that there are millions of people in underground churches, um, covert churches in China, millions and millions of people. In fact, in some estimates, it could be that over a hundred million people have been baptized in Jesus name in China. So America has roughly 320, 330 million people. I-, I dare say that there is a revival going on. There is an evangelistic move of the spirit, but it may not be in America. It might be in other places. The last in time revival that Joel prophesied about in Joel chapter 2 that he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh it could be that other countries are going to see this incredible um, baptism of revival now I want it I want you to know I want the revival I pray for it I pray for it in every city and in every church but we have a, a few problems we we have opulence we have pleasures we have options we have things Um, we don't see ourselves as servants. We see ourselves as blessed and that we should be blessed. And some people even think that right now this is tribulation. I want to tell you, this is not tribulation. We are not in the middle of tribulation and we are not being persecuted. Now, I know the reports, I've read the reports just like you have of of people being ticketed in parking lots and and um, and arrests being made or 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 different things being done uh, with the law. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a moment, but that's not persecution. Go ask the early church about persecution how they were stoned. James was run through with the sword and bled out and died. And all the Jewish people that hated the Christians, the Jewish Christians, they were happy about it. They had an expectation that Peter would be killed too. Many of them were stoned. The prophets in the Old Testament were stoned. They were, they were left for dead many, many times. Paul wrote of all of his afflictions. He said, a night and a day, I spend the open sea. Five times I was whipped. Thirty nine stripes. I was beaten. Paul was stoned and left for dead. The disciples gathered around him at Lystra and thought he was dead. He started to move. He got up. And that was persecution. Uh, Read the Book of Martyr, the Book of Martyrs, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, Peter hung upside down. Paul boiled in oil, not dead, uh, sent to the Isle of Patmos. And um, it was said that Andrew was crucified on a cross made into an X. Um, They suffered real persecution Even talk to the people at the beginning of the 1900s. Those Christians ridiculed. They were, they were outcast. Christianity has been, has, has suffered many horrors. Uh, some historians write that 10 million Christians were killed during World War II. Six million Jews and 10 million Christians. There are, there are, Christianity today suffers a lot of sorrow and pain in some of the Middle East, Eastern countries. So, to say that we are suffering tribulation times or persecution, this is not true. The problem is we 've been so blessed we cannot figure out um, what to do with ourselves when we're, we go through these uncertain times these are uh, These are not the signs of perilous times. We can read about perilous times. That doesn't mean that, that we want people to perish. The The virus that is being experienced around the world is horrible. And people are suffering and our frontline workers. We pray for every caregiver, doctor, nurse, everyone who is helping. We pray for them, peace and safety and, and health. And the families that are struggling with lost loved ones. These are horrible things. But as it regards persecution in the church, this is not persecution. We just have our definitions in a little bit of disarray of disarray. So in the next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about where America is and some of the other countries. Okay. Now that I have um, offended a lot of people telling everybody that America is not the it country of around the world. uh, Let's try to find out a little bit about what the Bible says about countries. Now remember that Daniel is going to write a book. And Daniel's writing and uh, John's writing in the book of Revelation, they're around 700 years apart. Uh, we believe they're around 700 years apart. They have similar imagery. Daniel sees a vision and he relates nations to animals uh, or kingdoms to a horn uh, that would come out, you know, horns of an animal. So... Kingdoms are monarchies or nations' powers. so before the um, the early part of of the last couple of centuries, these nations that he saw did not exist, so we know that we're at the end of time. We know that these days are close to the end of time. Now we're going to talk later on about uh, pure allegorical thought and preterism. And we'll define those, but um, but we really want to stay here in in reality. What do we know? we don't want to assume anything we don't want to predict anything. You can predict that the cardinals are going to beat the cubs, I hope uh, whenever they play again, or maybe the cowboys will finally get back into i don't care uh, you could predict somebody will win a golf game or you can predict their race, maybe an NASCAR race. But prophecy is not about prediction. When you get into prediction, you get into big trouble. Because a lot of people predict things that don't come about. And then what happens is it dilutes the actual word of prophecy. In the Old Testament, if a, if a prophet prophesied something and was wrong, he, he was stoned, he was killed. Um, I can remember someone talking about, prophecy and they said, well, I don't really have the hang of it yet. Well, you don't get the hang of it. This is not a learned trait. This is a gift from God. Either you prophesy something true or you're just making something up. So let's make sure we stay in the scripture. And we're talking about Daniel's imagery, what he saw and how it relates to kingdoms or nations. When he wrote this and when he saw it, None of these nations existed, and they didn't exist for thousands of years later. They now exist in our time, which is incredible that in our time, these nations exist. Daniel chapter 7, I'll just read a few verses here. We'll start with verse 3. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse, they were different from one another. The first was like a lion, and it had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked. And it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man. And a man's heart was given to it. I'm going to go back to this, but let's just read through it. Just a couple more verses. Verse 5. And behold, another beast, a second, like to a bear, raised up itself on one side. It had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. They said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. Verse 6. We'll end here. And this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. Now, I've done the study with our local church. I'm not going to uh, dissect each line as I've done in the past. I just want to go back up to, to verse 3. Four uh, came out of the sea. And the first was like a lion. The lion had an interesting uh attribute to it. The lion had another animal attached or the likeness of another animal, an eagle or eagle's wings. And there was a separation in the second stanza of verse 4. There's a separation between the lion and the eagle's wings. And then the eagle's wings, uh, well, it stood up. It was morphed and it merged into a man, a standing man. So... If you just go back into history, you'll find that England has always had a national symbol, and the symbol has been the lion. For for a long, long time, England has been represented as the lion. America, the United States of America, came out of England. We, we had our birth out of England, and our national uh, symbol has been the eagle. But we have another national symbol, and that was early on, we, we called him Uncle Sam. And so these are common things. Now, now these things, uh, give imagery. Um, most prophecy teachers look at these scriptures, um, as nations that are present today. The bear is likened to Russia. And I won't go through all of that, but then there's this last one. Uh, verse six is the leopard. We're not exactly sure how this ties in, but it, but we do know uh, that that there is a significance of the the four heads or dominion. When Hitler died, it was the end of the Third Reich, and Germany was devastated. So it could be, we're not sure, but it could be that verse six, the leopard, is representing representing uh, Germany. What I really want to talk about are the wings, the eagle's wings. Where are those wings? Well, we find them again in the book of Revelation. And that's Revelation chapter 12, verse 13. We're talking about the nation of Israel. Verse 13, Revelation 12, 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast upon the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man child. Verse 14. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, eagle. That she might fly into the wilderness. There was protection for her. But we notice now that those wings are going to be missing because it's only for a time. She was nourished for a time and times and half a time. That's, that would equate in prophetic terms to three and a half years. So after the three and a half years, there's going to be a, a great tribulation. But, but we do know that America has been the great ally of Israel. So I would submit to you that America is blessed for just a few reasons. The reason why we're blessed, not because we're good, not because we're American. We're blessed. Number one, we're blessed because our founding fathers recognized God. They prayed the pictures and drawings and paintings, uh, even though our founding fathers had issues and they and 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 those issues were rectified over the years they were praying for god's direction we began as a christian nation i don't believe that we are a christian nation today but we began as a christian nation and we did honor god and for many many years we honored god only until the 1970s 60s and 70s did we start to deviate from a god centered or a christ uh, uh, centered um, community. We are also blessed because we have rallied around Israel. Um, I may talk a little bit about the security council that, that is hosted by the United Nations. The security council is made up of just a handful of nations and all those nations that are on the security council have to vote in unison for anything to be enacted. Of course, the UN doesn't have doesn't have much power as we've figured out and there's a lot of corruption in the UN. But America, invariably, always stands up for Israel even if all the other nations in the Security Council vote against Israel or some uh, sanction against Israel. America has always voted in favor of Israel. So my belief is that there are two reasons why America is blessed and it has nothing to do with our innovation has nothing to do with our entrepreneurship or our investments. It has to do with the fact that we have recognized God and that the Bible says that we'd be blessed. And also because we have been a friend to Israel and the Bible said we'd be blessed because of that. So these are the reasons why America is blessed. And I believe that God has allowed America an opportunity, a time and a season for us to bless the world a time and a season for us to have our own revival. And so, I believe that if we're going to exercise the blessing of God, we need to position ourselves to reach our cities and our world. We've got to be hungry. We've got to be desperate. We've got to be thirsty for a move of God. We should not think that America will always be blessed. We should not believe that we will always have all of these riches and all of these provisions. There's no promise that we're going to continue to be a wealthy nation. We could easily be impoverished. And to that end, people who have less generally call on God more. Um, Nations that that struggle financially and, 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 and our our struggle with all the conveniences that we have. They don't have that. They have great moves of God. People that are, are oppressed call on the Lord, but it's, it's rare. The wealthier people are, the less they pray. This is even why, this is why Jesus said, it's very hard for a rich man to get into heaven. It's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. That's an odd statement. He wasn't talking about he wasn't talking about a, a, a needle and thread. He was talking about an opening in the wall of the city. The eye of the needle. It was a small opening. a camel getting down on his knees. Crawling through a small opening. Very difficult for that camel to get through. That opening in the wall of the city. It's very difficult for a rich man. And then they said, well, who can be saved? And the Lord said, well, with with, with God, nothing's impossible. Everyone can be saved. But the wealthy man... Could very well be not just an individual, but a nation. We have it all. We have everything, and and um, we're grappling with things today. Uh, we're we're grappling with not enough toilet paper and, and 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 not enough meat and bread. And what are we going to do? And 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 um, uh, we're talking about social distancing. We're talking about um, we're talking about things not operating like they need to operate. we got to get this back. We're going to be better than ever. All of politicians want this to be better than ever. Well, I think that we're living in a moment where we're seeing something and I want us to position ourselves and I'm going to be speaking about it um, from the pulpit coming up, but I want us to position ourselves. So those of you who can receive this know that this is the time for you to lay aside Trivial things. Put your life in order. Put priorities in order. Don't have faith and trust in the government or a stimulus package or that things will be back to normal. Um, Not even in the economy. Some folks are talking about this being the time of tribulation. There's, There's two predominant schools of thought. On this. The first one is that we're, we're starting the end of tribulation. The second one is that this is a precursor. Um, if I had to choose between the two, I would choose the second, the latter. We're just seeing, we're having a little bit of taste. It's kind of like having a small taste of a larger portion. But it's really not even persecution or a time of tribulation. Many nations are dealing and have dealt with things... For decades of time that we've just dealt with in the last five to seven weeks, and i 'm not talking about the virus i 'm talking about not being able to have all the things that we have um, we're we 're dealing with something here today, and what we 're dealing with is a is a, um, a setup I believe this is a precursor if you see the liberties of america they're they're being attacked by um, by executive branches. An executive branch could be the president or a governor or a mayor. Um, we're bypassing uh, religious rights and the right to congregate and freedom of speech. All these things are being attacked. So I think this is the precursor. Now, we could easily come to a constitutional crisis where both the state is waging its authority against churches and and freedom to worship is, is being challenged. This is a precursor. This is a, uh, a moment where, where we get a little glimpse of something that's happening in the world. So don't be weary. Just put yourself in the right position and make your calling and election sure. I've preached this and I'll continually preach it because we need to know what we must do. And we need to not rely. We, we, we've got to be very careful Go back to servanthood. Don't think that you deserve. We don't deserve any of this. We're blessed. We're blessed beyond measure. We're blessed. But all of that can be wiped out in a single day. Do you you realize billions of dollars of wealth have just been wiped out from the stock market? It can just be wiped out. And businesses can just be wiped out. Some of them may never come back again wiped out. This is a time for us to strengthen ourselves in the Lord and be thankful and take the position of a servant and if you find this time weary then gather yourself gather your strength and take advantage of the moment where you can develop some muscles that have boy they they've not been worked on in a long time i don't know i don't know if if, if this is like if i can relate to you but but um we've just we sat in the house too long and we said, okay, well, let's go running. It's the weather is better. And we ran and, and you know, you run a couple miles and you kind of feel it the next day. So I can feel it the next day, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing some other spiritual things. We need to strengthen some spiritual muscles because we've gotten caught up in silliness and trivial things and things that don't matter. And we need to understand. What kind of position we need to put ourselves in. If we cannot walk right now. We're never going to be able to run. Later. Jeremiah asked some questions to God. And God. And I'll close with this. He asked the Lord a few questions. And, and God. Um, he answered in a very. Uh, direct way. The Lord spoke to Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 12.5. God said if thou hast run with the footmen, And they've worn you out. Or they've wearied you. How are you going to contend with the horses? And if in the land of peace you trust, you get weary in the land of peace, how are you going to do when Jordan is swelling, when there's trouble? So if we get weary, if we're all just stressed out and we're weary in America right now, if this is the, if this is really hurting us and wearing us out, we need to, Reposition ourselves. and Get ourselves in the right place. Prepare ourselves. Get some spiritual meat back on our carnal bones. Get rid of things in our lives. Take on Christ and the idea of a servant. Because if this is wearing us out, we're never going to keep up when it really gets bad. So, The land of peace. Look at verse 5. We're living in the land of peace. America is in the land of peace. We have great trust in our land of peace. But if we get weary in the land of peace, what are we going to do when there's real trouble coming our way? I would just say to all the church and the people that are watching this, if there was ever a time for you to change the course of your life this is the day to change the course of your life. This is the hour. I can see the signs of the times. You can see the signs in the sky. We have so many of the elements. Earthquakes. I'm going to be talking about it in the in the coming weeks. Earthquakes and pestilence, these are viruses. All of these things are happening. It's incredible. All over the world there have been wars. There've been rumors of wars. There's been an increase of knowledge all kinds of things that, that was prophesied in the Bible. As in the days of Noah. We'll talk about that. All of these things have come about. Those imagery, those nations that Daniel saw thousands of years ago. They're all in existence. The nations are all in existence today. Israel has become a nation. And we now are set up for the end time. So I would just say tonight position yourself as that wise bride-to-be preparing for the bridegroom. Have your moments with God. Take time and have your moments with God. Gain spiritual muscle and spiritual strength because an opportunity is coming our way and we're going to have to capitalize off of it. And I pray that we will do that. Before I close this uh, session tonight, I want to pray for everyone and I want to pray that God would give a great hunger in our hearts to pursue him, to follow after him. I'm going to pray that the Lord will help us to become servants again um, and that, that we would never think that our servanthood had an expiration date. I wonder if you'll pray with me right now. Lord, I... I pray for the people that watch this. I pray that they would hear it with spiritual ears and hearts that long for understanding. Forgive us, Lord, of arrogance and forgive us of the idea that no harm could come to us because we are called after your name. I pray tonight that you would grant us wisdom and desire. And I pray, Lord, that we would follow after you, Lord. Let us take advantage of these days so that they are not lost. I pray that our spiritual strength would rise and our spiritual hunger for you would rise. And I pray for all the saints and all the people that hear this and see it. In Jesus' holy name.